0: For our text tonight we'll read from 2nd Kings chapter 7 2 Kings chapter 7 looking at the first 2 verses Then Elisha said hear ye the word of the Lord Thus saith the Lord tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? And he said, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. We know that during this period of of Israel's history, we had what many call the divided kingdoms. Following Solomon's reign, his ultimate failure, Israel divided into two. There was, as we know, the northern kingdom whose capital was Samaria, mentioned here in our text. And then there was the southern kingdom of Judah whose capital was Jerusalem. And we do know in history that Judah outlasted the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom was made up of ten tribes and likely some of the Levites. Remember, the Levites did not have a particular piece of land. They were to serve the Lord. And the southern kingdom of Judah was made up primarily of two tribes, Benjamin and Judah, perhaps some of Simeon. In Genesis, it talks about Simeon being divided, so they may have had a place in both the north and the south. And then, of course, the Levites in the south. And no doubt, because of Jerusalem, they probably primarily settled in the south. Judah would ultimately have 19 kings and one queen. I was curious who was that queen. It's Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. And then ultimately, Israel would also have 19 kings. But our text here is situated in the northern kingdom. Specifically, Samaria, the capital. And Elisha, who we know was the prophet of God, following Elijah, the man of God, the mouthpiece for God to the people. At this time, Samaria had been choked off. They had been shut off. Their enemy, the Syrians, had gathered around them. The armies were gathered in uh, chapter Six, it refers to Ben-Hadad, who apparently was the uh, the captain or the king of Syria. And the city was in dire straits. The food supply was shut off. And in fact, even in chapter 6, uh, previously, it talks about, very sadly, cannibalism. They had no hope. They were uh, slowly being starved. There was a famine in Samaria. And Elisha has the audacity To stand and say, but he did because he was God's mouthpiece. Thus saith the Lord tomorrow about this time. So in about 24 hours, shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. This was unimaginable for the people. Unthinkable. How could this be unfathomable? If I understand correctly, a measure of fine flour would have been today approximately two and a half gallons by measure. And so two measures of barley, five gallons, give or take. There's different perspectives. So as this is being predicted or prophesied by Elisha, they could not foresee a, a situation where this could happen. This would be a miracle beyond miracles to the people. There was no fine flour available for the people, no barley available. It's thought that maybe the king's household still had access to something. Now, early in Old Testament times, this term shekel, which we know it's a, a term for their monetary unit, it's lasted for hundreds, thousands of years. Early on, it was simply a unit of measurement. It wasn't even really a monetary unit. It referred to the weight Of an actual coin and and the coin was probably made up of silver over time uh, the the term shekel it it denoted uh, a certain value because the weight of that silver had a certain value and one shekel was probably we understand maybe three or four days wages of, of working in the field so Elisha is telling them as they're surrounded 24 hours from now remember there's no hope They're surrounded. The city is completely sealed off to the outside. They would have thought it's only a matter of time until we surrender. But Elisha says, God says at the very gates of the city, regular commerce is going to somehow commence literally overnight All of a sudden at the gate, people will be coming and going. They'll be buying and selling and and food will return to the city. We might say that the prophet Elisha had perfect or complete faith. When Elijah speaks this, he's speaking on behalf of God. He's not questioning it. He's declaring what is going to happen. It's a matter of fact. When he speaks to the king this is going to happen in the gates here of samaria it's a declaration as he was relying relaying this message in verse 2 it says then a lord on whose hand the king leaned this would have been the right hand man of the king maybe we could say his main guy answered the man of god and said behold if the lord would make windows in heaven might this thing be? It's like he's saying, even if there were windows in heaven, I don't believe it. And he, and he said, behold, this is Elisha, behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt, but shalt not eat thereof. I, I wondered in the scripture, this term windows of heaven and, and back at the flood of Noah's day, the Bible refers to the windows of heaven being opened up because of how the the earth so miraculously filled with water in such a short amount of time. It was more than just rain. It was the windows of heaven opening and the fountains of the deep opening up. The prophet Malachi wrote in referencing to bringing Ties into the storehouse how that the Lord says, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. So for the people of Samaria uh, to imagine the windows of heaven opening, that's what it would have taken, a a miraculous miracle, we could say, from God in order for this to be. But he says, even if that was to happen, could it be? So Elisha had perfect faith, complete faith. But the right-hand man of the king was completely faithless. Really two polar opposites in terms of faith. I think most of us in our, in our walk with the Lord, we're somewhere in between, aren't we? We might not feel like we have perfect and complete faith like Elisha. We'd like to, wouldn't we? But we might not feel like we we're quite there yet. And we don't feel like we're faithless uh, like the, the king's right-hand man here. We're somewhere in in between. We're not absent of faith. We're not faithless. We do have a measure of faith. If we're saved and we know the Lord, it took faith to reach out to Jesus and to have our sins forgiven. In verse 3 it says, And there were four leprous men at the entering in of the gate. And they said one to another, Why sit we here until we die? God had given clear instructions to the people of Israel, the people of Judah, the house of Israel in general, on on how those with leprosy should be treated. Of course, it was thought to be incurable throughout the scripture. Sometimes it's likened unto sin. They were outcasts. They were unclean. In the Levitical law, chapter 13 of, of Leviticus, verse 45 and 46, it says, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent. Apparently they were to to rend or rip their clothes as a sign of what they were going through. And his head bare. They weren't allowed to have a head covering. Uh, Some might think that this reference here is that they were to shave their head, but it seems that they weren't able to have a head covering or they couldn't do their hair. And it says, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip. Isn't that interesting? It sounds like a mask. And shall cry, unclean, unclean. And in verse 46, all the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone without the camp shall be, shall his habitation be. And that's why we see here in the scripture, there are four of them. They're gathered. They're at the gate or outside of the camp. And the four lepers, as they're on the outskirts of the, of the city, they said, let's, let's reason here. Looks like we've got three options. Number one, we can stay here. And if we stay here, we die. Number two, if we go into the city, and they weren't even really allowed to go into the city, but uh, if we try and go into the city, there's a famine in the city, and if we go in there, we die as well. And so they came up with their third option, reading from verse 4. They said, Now, therefore, come and let us fall unto the host of the Syrians. This was their last hope. If they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall die. Essentially here we see them raise the flag of surrender. They say we've got no choice. In fact, they say we've got to try something lest we die. They had counted the cost. They had to completely surrender to their situation and to their condition. We have no other options. This seems like the best route. And they had to have thought that they certainly would succumb to the Syrians. If we want to receive something from God, sometimes in our lives we simply have to put up the white flag of surrender. In fact, as I thought about, if we want to receive from the Lord and we talk about when we get saved, it's complete and utter surrendering to the Lord, surrendering to your will, surrendering to yourself, surrendering to your way, surrendering to your own plans. And when we pray a prayer of repentance and asking God for forgiveness, essentially we're saying, I give up. And we know that's when the peace of God comes, when you reach complete and utter surrender. And if you point back to when Jesus saved you, that's where you were at. You were at a place of prayer where in your heart you said, I can't do it my way anymore. And God came down and offered peace and offered victory. And really, if we want to be sanctified, we have to surrender. I think sometimes we make it too complicated. We have to surrender to our will, surrender to our plans, surrender to our ways. Yes, it's a prayer of consecration. It's not a prayer of repentance. But when our heart gets to that place where, God, it's your way, not my way, that's when God sanctifies. It's not much more complicated than that either than receiving the Holy Spirit. Why do we have the Scriptures that say that, that we are to ask and that the Lord would give the Holy Spirit to those that ask. And that the, the, the very familiar Scripture that the promises unto you and to our children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, it comes down to complete and utter surrender. Well, they rose the white flag of surrender. In verse 5, it says, and they rose up in the twilight. It's, this was probably the evening evening light to go into unto the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, this was probably where the first line of guards they thought would be. We could say also the initial line of the camp. It says again in verse 5, behold, there was no man there. And reading on, it says that the Lord had created a great noise, which sounded like a, a major or a, a massive army marching, a great commotion. They heard a noise of chariots and horses, and, and the Syrians thought they were under attack. In fact, to such an extent that they thought the, um, the northern kingdom of Israel had gathered the Egyptians to help them and the Hittites who were the descendants of Heth, the son of Canaan, that maybe these had joined and were confederate with the Israelis as they were attacking the Syrians. And in verse 7 it says, Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight and left their tents and their horses. And their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. Verse 8, and when and when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent and did eat and drink and carried that silver and gold and raiment and went and hid it. Wow, what a, a gold rush this became. And came again and entered into another tent and carried thence also and went and hid it talk about a life-changing experience. All of a sudden, they were well-fed well and there was more than what they knew to do with. More food and gold and silver than they could even bear themselves. And finally, it dawned on them, we must tell the king of Israel. And as we read through this account, they go to the portal at the door of the, uh, of the kingdom, of the, the capital of Samaria, and they yell and they try and explain. And it gets to the king's house. Well, the king thinks it's a trap. King, were you not there when Elisha said the day before what would happen? He thinks it's a trap. He thinks that, sure, we'll go out into the camp of the Syrians. And as we'll there, it'll be where they will attack and they will have drawn us out. You know, a lot of the promises of God, we've heard them. And sometimes I think in our human nature we forget. But the promise is still there. We've been to church dozens of times. Maybe hundreds of times. For many of us, thousands of times. And we want to be reminded, excuse me. We want to remember the promises of God. We want to remember that God will never leave us or forsake us. When this old world gets dark and where we have a desire in our heart to say, take us, Lord, out of this world. We want to remember that Jesus is in control. God is in control. He has a plan and God had a plan here. In verse 13, it says, And one of his servants answered and said, Let some take, I pray thee, five of the horses that remain. There was not left, which are left in the city. It was, that, it was as if he had just a morsel of faith. Maybe he was there. Maybe he was one of the servants there when Elisha declared what would happen. And the king is doubting. He says, which are left in the city. Behold, they are. Are as all the multitude of Israel that are left in it. Behold, I say, they are even as the multitude of the Israelites that are consumed. And let us send and see. Let us just go see if perhaps, maybe, this is true. And sometimes we have just a little bit of faith, and you know that's all it takes. Because as the the Bible says here, the two chariots were taken. And, and they went and they and they found that indeed it was true. And pretty soon the king appointed his right-hand man to the gate of Samaria. Watch the gate, buddy. And as the people fled the city, he was trampled and they made their way out. And the spoil was great. God answered prayer. The promise of God through Elisha was fulfilled. What an example to you and me. We might not feel like we're like Elisha with our faith. We surely don't feel like we're the right-hand man of the king, being faithless. But maybe we are like the lepers. Maybe we are like the servant that, well, first of all, the lepers that that rose the wave of surrender and said, I've got to try something. Maybe we've prayed for something for dozens of years. You've prayed for your baptism year after year after year. You need to try something different maybe. Make a point to try something different. I don't know what it would be in your life, but sometimes we have to do that. You might tell a friend, would you pray for me? Because the scripture talks about two agreeing. And, and, and the power there is into agreeing on something on the word of God and, and, and on the promises of God. And when we do that, then our hearts are bound together and we can pray together. And pretty soon a spark turns into a fire, which turns into a blaze, which turns into a raging forest fire. That's what we want to see in a spiritual sense. Or maybe we are like the servant that says, I believe there might be something true there. That's all it takes. We need that morsel of faith, that little bit of faith. The Bible talks about faith that will move mountains. We might not feel like we're there yet, but God will take us by the hand. If we want to believe, the scripture tells us that we must believe. We must have faith to please God and God will help us to receive his promises. We're going to have an opportunity to to pray tonight. What do you need from the Lord? God is faithful. Do you need to be saved? God is calling you. He's tapping you on your heart. He's reaching out to you. He loves you. Do you need to be sanctified? God is calling you. Do you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Spirit of God calls for laborers in his vineyard. God is calling you tonight. He'll fulfill his promise in you. The song is 596. Let's come out and pray.